0: Malachi 3 is where we're going to be tonight. We had a, a great uh, day uh, with the, the Will, LeBron and Libby Williams. We got to go to lunch with them afterwards, and um, they were um, just an encouraging couple. It was, it's pretty neat to sit down with somebody uh, like them who has been in ministry for so long and just hear the stories that they can tell and uh, just hear of God's faithfulness to them. Uh, very, very encouraging. They said they were... First church they planted was in West Virginia. It was a coal mining town, and uh, people did not want them there, and they got, um, like, you know the old ransom letters where they would clip words out of magazines, and they got that twice, um, saying, you need to get out of here, and finally, um, a family that hated them uh, burnt down the building they were meeting in. They cut the oil line, threw it under the building, and lit it on fire, and uh, like, serious stuff, and they said, we just knew that's where God called us, we had nothing to compare this ministry too, so we thought this might be normal, and then found out, that's not normal, right? That's not, but, but just to hear their stories of how God protected them and preserved them, uh, both here and, and around the world, really, uh, is pretty incredible. So when when you see somebody um, like that, and they, they're still smiling, serving Jesus, uh, they've gone through a lot, and what have they found out that he's faithful? He's faithful, and uh, that's, that's what we understand as well. So um, just was encouraged by that today. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 7 through 12 tonight. And uh, this is the, probably the passage that Malachi is most known for, um, the one that talks about uh, will a man rob God. That's what we're going to be kind of discussing this evening. But let's read the passage and then have a word of prayer, starting in verse number 7. The Bible says this, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the window of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and ye shall not destroy and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delight a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening that we can come together. We thank you for your word that we can uh, look at tonight. And I do pray that as we uh, study it together, God, that you would teach us uh, through the power of your spirit, that we would understand, God, uh, what you would have us to understand from this, and that we would um, be motivated to apply it to our lives as it does apply today. God, I I pray um, for clarity as as I speak. Um, I pray um, that you would take my words and use them for your honor and your glory. God, we thank you. Uh, for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for the kids downstairs. God, uh, work in their hearts tonight uh, as well. Uh, that as we leave um, today, God, we could say it was a good day to be in the house of the Lord, uh, not just because we had fun, uh, because it was an opportunity to grow in your word together, to draw closer to you. God, I pray that you would use this uh, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Malachi, as we have seen, has dealt with a lot up until this point. Uh, But it really has all centered on the same thing. Uh, These people had forsaken the ways of the Lord. We saw that in the sacrifices that they were giving, we saw that in the way uh, that they were treating their wives and going after um, wives from foreign lands that did not believe in in the God that they believed in. Uh, They had had forsaken the ordinances, as he says in verse number 7 here, and, and God was not pleased. And so God worked in Malachi's heart to write a letter or to speak to these people in a way that would catch their attention, in a way that would remind them uh, that they had gone off course. And it's, it's a good reminder, isn't it, when we've gone off course, for somebody to come alongside us and say, Hey, you've gone off course. Now, is it always a, a pleasant reminder in the moment? It's not. We know that. Uh, but in the end, when we listen to the, the rebuke or we listen to the, um, the chastening of the Lord or we listen to a friend coming up and putting their arm around our shoulders, it's, it's, uh, in the end it proves good uh, if we'll follow through uh, with what God is really leading us to do. And so as, as they had gone astray, and God was rebuking them, as God is calling them back to himself to live in the way that he wanted them to live, he was doing so for their good and for his glory. As we said, Malachi had dealt with the issue of divorce. Uh, he reminded them in, in the last uh, time we were together that he was coming again. They could count on God making good on his word, Uh, because he does not change. He's constant. And Malachi reminded them that it's a good thing that God doesn't change, because if he did change, they would be consumed, Uh, that God would have destroyed them because of the error of their way, because they had wandered away uh, in the way that they did. And so as it was good for them that God doesn't change, it's good for us that God doesn't change as well. Uh, This next section that Malachi addresses is the issue of robbing God. Malachi is going to reveal that this was unacceptable, and God was using Malachi again to show them where they had gone wrong. Verse number seven again says this, Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? And so verse seven is kind of introductory to this next section that Malachi is going to break open. And it's another question uh, that is asked by God uh, after God has examined their ways, and then the people really ask a question, and and questioning if what God said is really true. God says, you've gone out of of the way, you have abandoned my ordinances, you have abandoned the law, you have abandoned the the established way that I have set up uh, that will teach you how to interact with me, it will teach you who I am, and it will teach you how you should behave as those whom I have chosen. He calls them to return to him. And uh, this again speaks of his unending faithfulness towards them. He could have said in this moment, you've wandered away from the ordinances and now I'll have nothing to do with you. But God instead says, return to me, return to me and the relationship will be restored. And then God says that he will return to them. Now, I don't, I don't think this means that God left them. Right? Because God is talking to them in this moment. So it's clear that his presence was in some way still there. But I think what it's referring to is the blessings of the Lord. That if you return to me, then the blessings and the promises and, and the, um, the covenant um, will, will remain true. It will remain true because I change not. And so God was calling them back to, to himself so that they could receive again the good from him that they desired um, I think it's often true, and we see this even today, that when people do wander away from God, they still want the good gifts of God, don't they? They they wander away, say, I'm going to do things my own way, but I want God to bless it. But what's Malachi relaying to us here? That God doesn't bless when we walk out of his way. That God doesn't, he's not obligated to pour onto us his blessings when we abandon the way that he has set up. And so as God is calling them back, he's calling them to understand really what it is that they're missing. And I think we use this sometimes as parents, don't we, when we're trying to talk with our children, that when you behave a certain way, you don't get certain things. And it's not that we're seeking to manipulate them, and God certainly is not seeking to manipulate them here, right? He's just showing them that there's a better way to live, and when you live in that better way, there's better blessings that are going to flow into your life. God doesn't need to manipulate us. We agree with that, right? He's not a manipulative God. But God does speak the truth, and while, while some would like to take God's words and say they're manipulative, really they're misunderstanding God's heart, because God's desire for us to come back is, is for our good, that we would walk in the way that he desires for us to walk, but it's also at the same time for his glory. So the question um, that he then gets to in verse number eight is that they have robbed God. He says, You've gone away, you've abandoned the ordinances, and they kind of flippantly ask again, Well, wherein shall we return? Where have we really wandered away from you? And Malachi clearly points out to them, um, If you've missed everything so far, let me just show you one other area where you've wandered away from me, and that's simply in this area of the tithes and offerings. This is something that God established. Uh, for the good of his people. The tithes would come in, the offerings would come in, and they would take care of the priests and, and the families that were associated with the priesthood. Uh, they would also come in and they would help uh, the poor that lived in that day. And so it's very similar to how we use tithes and offerings in churches still today. Not saying I'm a priest, but I'm I'm also not going to say I'm not thankful uh, that people give. I am thankful that people give. Why? Because it lets me do what I do, right? If If I had to work 45, 50 hours a week somewhere else, um, then I would say that my ministry would would suffer. My ministry would struggle. But because um, God has blessed the church and they're able to pay me a full-time salary and take care of the needs of my family, um, it enables me to do the work that God has called me to do. And uh, imagine back then uh, in the priesthood, if their needs weren't being met, um, the, the priesthood would have suffered. The people would have suffered. It would have been a bad thing, and so God's calling them back to the established order, the way that he set things up, uh, and it wasn't just the priests, but it was also um, the, the poor that these offerings would go to help and sustain, and certainly, uh, I think, as that was God's desire back then for the offerings as they came into um, the priesthood and to be distributed, that's still God's desire today, that it comes in to go back out, right? It comes in to go back out to take care of the needs of of those around us uh, to do the work that God has called us to do. And so verse eight really gets into the the uh, beginning of our time together tonight. And the question is asked, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And very plainly, he says, in tithes and offerings. Will a man rob God? If that question was asked, I don't know how much time was given in between when it was asked to when the conversation continued but i would like to think uh, in some ways that when the question was asked will a man rob god that there was a delay in time and, and it would give people time to think well well that's foolish who would ever think of robbing god who would ever think that they could steal from god because can you really uh, as the way they would think of it could you really steal from a god who is infinite a god who has everything and malachi's point is going to be that you can you can take things that belong to God when you keep them for yourself and you don't steward them in a way that God desired them to be stewarded. And so I like how this is dealt with. The question is asked, would anyone dare to rob God? And maybe some time was given uh, for some responses and, and maybe some conversation was had that's not recorded for us. But then Malachi, speaking on behalf of God, speaks again and says, if you're wondering if this question can happen understand this, you have robbed God. You're, you're the ones who have withheld your offerings. You have withheld your tithes. And it's not just to the detriment of the order that God set up in that day, but it's, it's you abandoning the ordinances that God had established for your good. So as this question is asked, Malachi points out very plainly that they have robbed God. And again, you know, they ask the question, and I think their questions are, are again, um, not asked with sincerity because I think they knew where they were going wrong. Uh, Their question was asked again and and they said, well, wherein have we robbed you? They knew what the law said. They knew what they were supposed to do. And maybe they were hoping to find a loophole uh, like we often do. Maybe they were trying to find a way out of the obligation that God had set over them. And Malachi clearly says that you've robbed him in your tithes and your offerings. I wonder uh, in what setting this was read. If it was a a whole congregation of people at one time or if it was passed around and, and read at different times, uh, but wherever it was read, however however the message was given, uh, don't you think the room probably got real quiet? When, when the question is asked or, or the statement has been made, you have robbed me, and they say, where and have we robbed you? And then the, the answer is given in the tithes and offerings. I, I bet a lot of people were looking at their shoes in that moment because they knew They knew exactly what they had done wrong, and now they knew that God knew what they had done wrong. And isn't it it almost silly that when we allow ourselves to go into sin that we think we can hide our sin from an all-knowing God? But we can't. And so Malachi is calling them out here. He's showing them where they had gone wrong. He's showing them the things that they had abandoned, and he's calling them back. David Guzik, a commentator, says that this is astonishing on four fronts number one it's astonishing because it's a daring thing to do to rob from god who who would ever even consider that if god was standing before us today and there was a hundred dollar bill sticking out of his pocket it wouldn't even cross our minds to run up to god and grab that hundred dollar bill from his pocket right We, we wouldn't consider that and yet withholding the thing that is rightfully god's how often do we willingly do that so it's astonishing it's astonishing because it's a daring thing to do it's astonishing because it's shamefully un, uh, ungrateful that God had provided everything for them. He had given them the ability to have uh, all the things that they were supposed to give back to them, back to Him. And yet in their ungratefulness, they were again withholding uh, in an arrogant way, thinking that what they had was theirs to do what they pleased with. It's astonishing because it's senselessly self-destructive. Um, Malachi is going to go into the destruction that was coming upon them because of the error of their way. God says, I'm going to curse you with a curse. And this curse is going to be a big deal. And so knowing the the ordinances that were within the covenant, they knew what was to come upon them if they abandoned what God had established and they they did it willfully and it's senselessly self-destructive. And then he says it's astonishing because it will certainly be punished. I can remember as a kid weighing... Um, the punishment from time to time. Anybody else ever do that? And I know if I get caught, this is what's going to happen. And yet there were times where I, I willfully did what I knew I shouldn't do. Um, and that was with parents who, who were not all-knowing. But God is all-knowing. He sees everything. He, he knows not just what we do. He knows what we don't do. He knows the motive behind what we do, and He knows the motive behind what we don't, don't do. And so the, the way that they uh, were living was was really living with this idea that, that they could do whatever they wanted. And we saw that all the way back in the way that they were giving their animal sacrifices, right? And the things that they were bringing to God and the way that they were bringing them to God, they said, we can do whatever we want. The, the priests were turning a blind eye saying, sure, do whatever you want. And now God was calling every one of them out um, to, to remind them that he sees what's going on and that he did not approve. But we have to stop and ask the question, is it really... Is it really robbing God if if this was their stuff? Well, we know the answer. Isn't everything we have, God's? Everything we're given is given from the ultimate gift giver. And so God gives it to us to steward. And so when we withhold what God has given us, knowing what we should do with it, then we're in essence doing the very same thing. You say, I struggle with that, that that everything is the Lord's. Well, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything is the Lord's. Hebrews 3, 4 says, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. 1 Corinthians 10, 26 says, for the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. And then I like this one, Joshua 1, 3, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you... Uh, given unto you, as I said unto Moses. So who is it that gave everything to the children of Israel as they wandered around? It was God. And so if that's the case, if that's true, then them withholding it uh, and not following the pattern that God had established for the good of the priests, for the good of the poor, and to show that they recognized that everything truthfully had its belonging to God, them abandoning all those things was showing that arrogance had come up in their heart and... and, uh, It was showing their willingness to ignore what God had said. And so God owns it all, and then he loans it to us as stewards, and uh, this is a good principle for us to remember when we don't think we have what we deserve. Does God give you what he wants to give you? Is what God gives you enough? It is. But what if my enough isn't like somebody else's enough? I'm called to steward what God has given me. I'm called to do um, what God has called me to do with what he's given me. And that, that's a hard principle. But if we're honest with ourselves, can't we always, most of the time, only see those that have more than us and not those who have less than us? But when we remember it's all God's, and God gives as he desires to give, as the good gift giver, and we're called the steward what he has given us, and that stewardship includes giving back a portion to him and recognition uh, that he is the one who's given us everything, then it changes our perspective. and changes our perspective. And so Malachi is calling them out here. He's, he's reminding them of what God had called them to do and he's reminding them of how they have walked away from it. And so the question is asked, will a man rob God? I think that's a question that, that we should meditate on in our own lives. Um, as we come to the end, we'll, we'll talk through kind of the idea of the tithe and, and what that looks like today. Um, certainly it was, it was different back in the Old Testament times. Uh, most people say it was up to 30% plus by the time all the gifts were given. And so um, I'm thankful that, that we don't start with 30%, right? There, there's a little more grace there in our day and age. Um, but God, God was calling them to recognize that as they gave faithfully to Him, what would He do? He would give faithfully to them. And so we give what God has called us to give, and we trust him uh, to do as he has promised to do. Has God promised to provide all our needs? Is it, does that include giving to his local, through his local church? It does. And so we have to trust God um, that he's going to provide for us in the way that he desires to provide for us. Any thoughts on verse number 8? Yes, Annie. Yes, hmm Sure. The, and the tithes and offerings here, it, it would have included the first fruit uh, offerings, which would have been like the, the first 16th part of the wheat that they had. And then they had to tithe another 10% on top of that first 16th part. Uh, and the offerings, again, w- would include both um, like the physical fruits that they would grow, but also the finances that they would, they would bring in. Um, but I think it, it can certainly apply to the talents that God has given us. Yes, it, it is, you know, I, I think that principle can certainly still apply and if anybody wants to tithe their time, this isn't in place of your, your, your uh, monetary offerings. We've got a couple sign-up sheets in the back. Feel free to look at them on your way out. You can clean, you can mow, all those things, right? That's a part of us giving back to the Lord. It's a part of us saying that I recognize, yes, God has given me finances, and I will give that back, but if all we're giving is finances, how involved are we really in the church? We're involved to a point, uh, but I don't think we're, we're involved in the way that God desires us to be involved fully, and so if you take a look at those sign-up sheets on your way out, and I expect them to be full after this service tonight. Any other thoughts on on verse, Dave? Yeah, you know, I think the Bible certainly addresses those things, and I think in the Old Testament, as the, the the gifts came in, they were distributed through the leadership that God had set up in that day, and I think in a similar way, as as gifts come in, money comes into the local church, that we distribute in a similar way, right? There was. Uh, somebody that was helped this week through the church that had a, a need that they couldn't meet on their own, and the church stepped in and helped them out. And I think that's, that's what's being talked about here, because some of those offerings that come in uh, would have been given specifically to go to the poor. There was a special tithe that was taken every three years, and that money would go specifically to the poor. And so that's always been a part of God's heart, right, uh, providing for the needs of those who are less fortunate. And so I, I, I appreciate the testimony that our church has. Until I came here, um, well, there's a lot of things I'd never seen done until I came here, but that's one thing specifically uh, was the, the way that Northside helped those in the community who had a need, um, blown away by that. But doesn't that follow with the heart of God, that we would do those things? It does. It certainly does. Yes, Jessica. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. 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 No, uh, good thoughts. Uh, Dave and I were talking this week, just about like retirement. Dave French. Um, we're talking about like retirement planning and whatnot. And um, one of the things that I said was, you know, I, I should have started sooner, but we all make choices with our money. Um, isn't that the case for everybody? Um, and isn't it the same way with giving to God? Um, people say, well, I couldn't afford to tithe. Well, I, I don't know that that's true, right? I think we all choose to do different things with our money. And sometimes we forgo giving to have what we want. Now, you know, the, the idea of, of 10%, we'll get into this more later, you know, 10, 10% of your income for some people, that seems like an unbearable amount to give regardless, it's a good amount of your income, uh, regardless. But for some people, 10% of your income, when you're having to live week by week off of the other 90, that 10% is a lot. Um, when you have excess, it's a little more comfortable to give 10%. And that's why you know I don't, I don't think it stops at 10%. I think 10% is a good baseline. I think that's what was true in the Old Testament. I think that's, that follows suit in the New Testament. It's a good place to start. Um, and if you can't start there, start somewhere, right? Start somewhere and and work up to that, like Jessica's saying. I think God does see see our hearts, um, but God also has a standard, and we can't always excuse skipping out on the standard because our heart is in the right place, if that makes sense. Sometimes you have to meet the standard with a right heart, trusting that God's going to come through on his end, and isn't that so often what would keep us from... From giving in the way that we should or could is that we're almost and maybe we'd never say this but we're almost a little doubtful that God is actually going to come through because we see the bank account nobody else sees the bank account but we see when it gets low or it gets below low and then it gets like uh I don't know what to do low right it's 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 we see that and we think sometimes that God doesn't see that but he does see that and God all throughout the Bible rewards faithfulness um and as, as we see in the Old Testament, whether it's a cruise oil, you know, God can refill that. God can, can make good on um, giving you enough to get by. And honestly, I think maybe that's the best way for us to live sometime, just having enough to get by. Why? Because it does make us more reliant upon him. It does make us depend on him. Uh, but good thoughts. Anybody else? Yes, Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that salsa is not stupid. That salsa is good. <laughs> Relish. <laughs> definitely and can't god do more with a ten dollar bill that's given in true humility and faith than he can um with somebody doing what they can do with a million dollars given in pride he certainly can he can feed five thousand with with a few loaves of bread and a few fish certainly he can multiply um the impact that a ten dollar bill has if it goes to his his work in his name and so good thoughts anybody else I thought this was going to be the quiet lesson. Talking about giving. Um, All right, moving on to verse number nine. He says, You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So the question is asked, Will a man rob God? And they ask, Well, how have we robbed thee? And Malachi says, In the tithes and offerings, and because you've robbed God, he says, You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. And this applies to the whole nation. Well, that's pretty sharp language, right? Like God doesn't say, I'll give you 10 days. It's not like an eviction notice. You know, you, you work up the funds and then we'll see what we can do. God says, no, you're cursed with a curse. Because you have robbed me, because you've withheld uh, what you know is rightfully mine, because you've withheld from me what I gave to you, he says, you're cursed with a curse. You're cursed with a curse. What does this mean? Well, we're going to get into what that curse was in verse number 11, but I don't want to get into it yet. And so uh, just just stick with that language that because they weren't doing what they're, they were supposed to do. There was going to be punishment that came upon them. There was going to be chastening, as we like to say, that would come upon them. And this chastening, as we've seen time and time again, was to bring them back to the place God wanted them to be. Uh, This chastening was a big deal. This punishment was a big deal. This curse was a big deal because God was was reminding them, again, that he sees what's going on. He's aware of where they had been abandoning the ordinances that he had set up. And so in verse number 10... After they get that alarming news, you know, they're thinking we're cursed with a curse. They're probably looking at their skin. And it's like, like do I have leprosy now? Is my hair falling out? What's going on here? In verse number 10, God encourages them. He says, you've robbed me. You've abandoned the offerings that you're supposed to give. So I've cursed you. But now I want to admonish you to, to get back to where you need to be. And so he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat uh, in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So God says, you're cursed, but even in your cursing, what am I expecting you to do? Be faithful. You weren't faithful in much when when you were abundant in blessing, but now I'm calling you to be faithful even when there's a curse upon you. You tell me, when's it harder to be faithful? they're in the trial that's that's typically when people go one of two directions right they're either walking away from God completely or they're coming back to him was was deeply encouraged by somebody's testimony this morning walking through a deep trial and they they just said I'm, I'm going to stick on God's side um, because I've gone the other way and it doesn't end well 've I've, you know I've tried to do the self-medicating thing, or get myself out of my own way, and it doesn't end well, and so I'm going to stick with God and let, let him deal with the situation. And so he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now they're under a curse. The curse, as we're going to see in verse 11, was considering or concerning their uh, their crops, and their crops were what they were supposed to tithe on, so now God's almost doubly testing their faith, isn't he? He says in this time when... when the thing that you're depending on to live is being devoured and taken away from you, I'm still calling you to be faithful to what you're supposed to be faithful to. He says, bring all the the tithes into the storehouse. Bring them to the priests. And and this was a a physical offering that was given. It would have been brought in. It would have been distributed among the priests. It would have been distributed among the poor. He says, so there's meat in my house. And he says, do this to prove me now. There's not many times in the Bible where God says, prove me, try me, right? Test me, let's see, let's see who's gonna make good on their word. But he says, prove me or try me or test me now, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, what, what's significant about that phrase, the Lord of hosts? Mentioned 25 times in Malachi, it refers to the ability or the assets or the, uh, uh, the, the things that God has at his disposal, speaking of angel armies or, or just the, the owning the cattle on the thousand hills, Right? Uh, Our pastor, Pastor Lakes, used to say, um, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and guess what? He owns the hills too. He owns everything. So prove me, test me, try me, and and bring the tithes into my house and see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. What does that say to you? Test Test me. And beyond that, what does it say? I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to open the window. Now, could God open the windows of heaven without them bringing the tithes in? He could. But what would it teach them? We can do whatever we want. And that's not what God was about. So God said, test me. Prove me and see if you're faithful to do what I've called you to do. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. And guess what? If I do that, There shall not be room enough to receive it. It reminded me of of, uh, when Jesus met the disciples on the shore for the last time, and he says, cast your nets in on the right side. We fished all night. There's nothing here. They cast their nets in the the sea, and and the nets couldn't contain the fish that were caught in them. Why did they catch that many fish? Because they tested Jesus. They, 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 They believed what he said was true. And they followed through. I think it's 153 fishes. One of the gospels says a specific number. And that that day would have been an enormous catch. Enormous. And what did they see? That God is able to do abundantly above what they can ask or think. And so God says, try me. Prove me. Bring all the tithes in and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, we have to be careful with verses like this, right? Because what do we often think? If I give a hundred, God's gonna fill my bank account with a thousand. No. What blessings would God be talking about? Whatever God wants to give. <laughs> and that may be money. You may have one of those scenarios that I never got in Bible college when all the other guys were opening up their, their uh, mailboxes and they got just the right money to the penny to pay their college bill. And I'm thinking, man, I must not be faithful because I, I get like bills in the mail upon bill, like late fees now, right? This is getting bad. Um, But I still graduated debt-free. Why? Because God is faithful. Um, I I got notes of encouragement in my mailbox. Sometimes those notes of encouragement are worth more than a check. Um, God says he's going to pour out a blessing. What, What could that blessing be? Maybe it was just the removal of the curse. God didn't have to remove the curse that he sent upon them. But God did he, he says he's going to in verse number 11 and so we can't just think of of giving in, in way of getting right if we only give to get then we're not really giving with the right heart uh, we give because that's what we're called to do and we leave the results up to god and so um as god says try me and test me um the blessings that god were gonna was gonna pour out upon them could have been restored fellowship with him that that He says, if you come back to me, I'm going to come back to you. That's what he said earlier in the passage. It could have been provision in unexpected ways that their their plants could have produced twice the harvest on half the seed. Could God do that? He certainly could. It could have been finances, that, that God blessed them in some way. It could have been giving them peace and joy and contentment, and the list could go on and on. But God says, try me and see if I don't pour out a blessing that's so big that you can't even receive it. Do you think God still does that today? Yeah, He does. I think sometimes we don't see it. Why? Because we don't test Him. We don't live in the way that He's called us to live. And I think this goes beyond finances. I think it it goes to to simple acts of of faithfully following Him where He has called us to follow. It's interesting, as, as God speaks to them here about giving they've robbed god and god says bring the tithes in and they were supposed to give almost with an expectancy not to get something but with an expectancy that god was going to pour out a blessing because that that's what he said and i think if if we gave in that way we would give more cheerfully and isn't that what paul tells the church at corinth in second corinthians 9 he says but i uh, this i say he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly and he that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully every man according as he has purposed in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what? A cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek is where we get our our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. Just picture that, like when you go to throw your offering envelope in the, the plate in the back, that you're so overflowing with joy that it's hilarious to you, that I get to give this much. This week, Delbert and I had a conversation, and it is almost hilarious what God does through this church sometimes. It is. But it's because people give with a cheerful heart. They give with a cheerful heart. And so Paul and Malachi were, were basically agreeing uh, as they said these things. God doesn't want us to give grudgingly. He doesn't want us to, to throw our offering in the basket thinking, man, I could do, I could, I could do a lot with this if if I could keep it for myself, that's that's giving grudgingly. God doesn't want us to give out of necessities. That means getting our cash out or, or writing our check saying, well, I better do this or else, right? No, God doesn't want us to give out grudgingly or of necessity, but he wants us to give with a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because a cheerful giver is recognizing where the funds come to give from in the first place that I get to give back because of what God has given to me. I'm a firm believer, friend, that we have what we have in every area of life because God is who he is. How do you have the ability to work? Because God hasn't consumed you yet, right? God is the one who gives every good gift, and we're called the steward that in a way that that would bring him glory as we give it back to him. And isn't it generous of God to say, hey, I'm going to let you keep 90%? He could have it the other way around he could say you you give me 10 and i'll take 90 or i'm sorry you keep 10 and i'll 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 take 90 but he doesn't he doesn't do that he's generous he's gracious to us and it's shown even in what he expects from us um, in giving back to him any thoughts on verse number 10 i think this was a challenge to anybody there as they heard these words think anybody like stirred over these words overnight couldn't sleep at night man I don't know if we can do it have you ever done that in bed thinking about giving I have I certainly have and yet God's always always been faithful so God says you've robbed me he says I've cursed you I'm challenging you to bring your tithes in to test me to prove me to show you that I'll make good on my word and God says when you do this I'm going to pour out a blessing but verse number 11 says that I'm also going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall the vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, uh, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, if you do this, then this is what I'm going to do for you. Now, we often like to use that backwards on God, right? We pray the prayers, oh God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do that for you. But who has the authority to do that? Only God does. We don't manipulate God, and God's not manipulating us He's just saying, I want you to understand that if you do what's right, then the blessings will turn back on in your life. And so uh, as, as we try to manipulate God, we need to reverse our thinking, understanding that we have no power over him. But God says, if you come back to me and do what's right, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes. What was the devourer? Who was this devourer? It's likely the pestilence, the, the, the caterpillars or the, the grasshoppers that were destroying their crops. Uh, How long do you think it would take for God to send enough caterpillars or or grasshoppers to destroy a field of crops? Not long at all. Read some of the stories in the Old Testament, right? That they would come in like armies, millions of them in one time, and destroy a whole field. God says, "In, in one word, I can get that to stop. And again, he's not hanging it over their heads as a threat. He's giving it to them as a promise. He says, if you do what's right, then I will rebuke the devourer. I will cause the great famine uh, in the present and in the future to stop, to go away. Um, the, the word devourer literally means eater. And so it could be any animal, any type of thing that was coming in and taking the food. And this reminds us again that God is, is in control. Uh, if he can send the pestilence, then he can also rebuke the pestilence. If he can cause the curse to come, he can also rebuke remove the curse and he ends verse number 11 with that familiar phrase in malachi saith the lord of hosts remember who you're dealing with here remember who it is that you're talking to and then in verse number 12 and we'll take a couple minutes at the end for any conversation but god says this and all the nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land saith the lord of hosts if you've seen a a land that's gone through famine what does everybody say That is a God-forsaken land or something like that. It's, It's a land that nobody wants to dwell in. But God says, if you come back to me, if you come back to the ordinances, if you come back to the established order that I have called you to walk in, that when all the nations of the world look at you, they're going to call you blessed. And should we remind ourselves what the purpose was in God choosing Israel to begin with? To be a light to the nations that the rest of the world would see that there is the true God in Israel. And friend, can I ask you to consider what God has called us to be? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And how, how good of a light are we being when we abandon the ways that God has established? And oftentimes, at least in modern day Christianity, I don't know about back then, but not only do we abandon the ways that God established, but then what do we do? We complain against God because in our abandonment, um, he's not doing what we want him to do. Malachi says, All the nations shall call you blessed, and you will be a delightful land. And how does he end? Verse 12. saith who? The Lord of hosts. God is able to do these things. God is able to, to make good on his word. The, the children's song um that that we sing that i sang often as a child is obedience is the very best way to show that you believe doing exactly what the lord commands doing it joyfully that's what god is calling them to do he didn't just want people who were fearful of him so they're they went from slavery in egypt to now slavery under god uh, with this attitude of of oh i've got to do this or else it's going to be worse than it was back in egypt No, God wants them to be a a picture of delight to the lands around them, that in their giving, that in in their their sowing, and in their harvesting, everyone else would look at them and say, Wow, look look at that land. Their God must be so good. Their God must be so kind to them. And so obedience is the key, believing that God will do what God says he's going to do. So then we ask, how does this apply to today? Does the tithe exist today? There's several, several thoughts. Uh, The tithe was established before the law, um, and so it's one of those those ordinances that many would say still continues, because if it was given before the law, um, then it's not bound by the law, and it's something that still continues to today. Uh, As we see, you know, the, the, the tithe, it literally means 10%, it's a tenth, and so that's what kind of was established back then. Um, there's debate over uh, if the tithe is, is still applicable in the age that we live in today. And uh, what I always tell people is, is this, um, regardless of what you want to call it, um, 10% is a good place to start. I, I think there's an, an order established in the Old Testament that's carried into the New Testament. I still call it tithing. Do I care if somebody else calls it tithing? Not really. What do I, what do I think they should do? They should give and give faithfully, and give abundantly, and give joyfully. Why? Because who has given them everything? Who's given me everything to begin with? God has. So we, we talk about the tithe here. We would say that that would, would start at 10%, and then you give as God uh, leads you to give. So a tithe and the offering, that's what's being talked about here. Uh, what would the offerings be? It would be above and beyond your tithe. It would be what we consider missions giving. The New Testament refers to giving as grace giving, that we give um, because we recognize how gracious God has been to us. Um, When my kids get jobs, and even before they get jobs, uh, we talk about it with them now, when they get money, hey, you should give some of that money. Why? Because ultimately, it's because God is kind to you that you have that money to begin with. And if we can start our kids giving at a young age, isn't that going to stick with them in years to come? My parents have uh, this testimony that they were never taught about giving, really, until uh, we moved to the church in Barrie. And so um, they would kind of give what was convenient to give. And then when they finally sat under teaching that, you know, came from the Bible, they realized, oh, there, there's a pattern to this that we, we should be giving 10% of our income. And um, we grew up in a poor household. I don't know if there's a better way to say it, right? We didn't have much growing up. Um, But when my parents caught that vision of what biblical giving looked like, can I say that God did more more through their money when they had less after they tithe than he did before keeping more for themselves? And do you think God can still do that in in your life? He can. And so I I don't know in I don't know what you give. I don't have those records, and I don't want to have those records. But I will t- ask you this. Are you giving according to the pattern that God gives in his word? Um, everybody agrees, whether they call it tithing or grace giving, that the place to start is 10%. And you may say, that, that's a lot of money. And guess what? It is a lot of money. In the day and age we live in, giving away 10% of your income when you're already taxed and you already have all these mandatory bills is a lot of your money. Um, But I would just say this, test God. Test God and see if he can't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that that you can't even handle. Remember, that doesn't mean it's going to be an overflowing bank account or your piggy banks are going to magically fill and bust at the seams, right? But it does mean that God can... (laughs) God can cause your tires to last longer, right? God can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. But I would just encourage you to test God and see if God is faithful. I think if you talk to any person who has faithfully tested God over any amount of time, do you know they're going to come back and say that God is faithful 100% of the time? And isn't that the point of what Malachi is saying here? Prove me, test me, and see if I'm faithful. I'm faithful. You're not faithful, God is saying. You have abandoned. You have walked away. You have done your own thing. Test me, and I'll show you that I am faithful, and you won't be able to handle what I give you in my faithfulness. Any thoughts on these verses? Yes, Jessica. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. During COVID, we stopped passing around the offering basket, and uh, there was a couple of people that said, you know, how, are people going to give if we don't pass the offering basket? And my response is, people are going to give um, if they have the right heart to give. I think sometimes, I'm not saying it was this way here or any other church I've been in, but I think it could be this way, that sometimes people give when the offering basket is passed because they feel obligated to give because people see them. Um, so I like it in the corner. People can walk by and throw their, their gift in. Nobody else has to know if you're giving or not because the one who matters knows. God knows if you're giving. And so if you're giving in the first place because other people see you throw something in the basket, well, then you're, you're, your gift in some senses, your reward is already given, right? You've given for the praise of men. You have your reward. Uh, but when it's in the, in the back and uh, nobody knows who's given what, um, I think those who are going to give are going to give And last I checked, uh, the church isn't struggling, right, Delbert? Not at all. So we'll we'll keep it that way until uh, we have to change it, and I don't think we'll have to change it. Any other thoughts? Dave. Dave. So as a kid, I was at a, a conference one time in North Carolina with my youth, the youth group that I was in, and there was a guy that got up and uh, was sharing about somebody else at the conference, a faithful pastor, served for many years, and he said his, his biggest bill um, is, his, is his giving every month, and it's not a bill, but that's, that's the big, biggest expenditure that he has is what he gives every month through the local church. And I can remember as a kid thinking, man, I want that to be me someday, that's not where i am right now um it's not but my prayer is that one day the the biggest thing by far would be what i give through the local church um and i don't think it has to be that way it was just something that i heard as a child and it stuck with me and it still sticks with me um and isn't god worth that he is Uh, and i'm not saying that's what you have to do that's just personal for me um and i won't let you know when it gets there but i'll let you know now it's not there right now um but hopefully it will be one day any other thoughts all right, let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, there's going to be a lineup at those sign-up sheets after this is over. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the challenges that we do find in it. And God, certainly, um, this was being written to a specific people in a specific time, but the principles apply. And God, as as you told them to test you, to prove you, and see if you wouldn't pour out a blessing, God, I, I believe the people in this room tonight could share how that has been true in their lives, how they've given... Um, not out of their abundance, but they've given to the point of it hurting. And yet, God, you have always proven yourself to be faithful. God, I pray that you challenge our hearts in this area of giving, that that we would seek to give according, not to what our feelings say to give, but that we would give according to what your word says to give. God, not, not looking over our shoulder to see who sees and not looking over somebody else's shoulder to see what they give, but God, just giving as you lead us to give and God, if we do, I, I do believe that we'll see you pour a blessing in a way that, that is designed perfectly for us. And God, we know that you can uh, because you are the Lord of hosts. We thank you for this time that we could study your word. I pray that you use it in our hearts uh, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his, his name we pray. Amen. See you Wednesday, Lord willing.